Good morning. Happy Easter. I am excited that you're with us. I'm excited to share Easter together, even though it's from a distance, but we're going to gather around God's Word, and we're going to see what the Lord has to say to us. And um, I just want you to know that the comments are on, uh, on the YouTube channel. So if you're watching on a computer, turn your comments on. Uh, it's Easter. Although we're officially not going to celebrate Easter today, we're going to officially celebrate Easter the first day we all get to be back together. It is Easter, and I hope that you have a wonderful Easter celebration planned with your family today. Uh, I know that there's uh, plenty of activities and things uh, that you've seen for the children that our children's ministry have has put on uh, Facebook and on the website, and so... Uh, let's just have a wonderful Jesus-filled Easter and do the best we can. So just like we always do every Easter, I get up here and this place is filled with people. Um, today, I only have one, two, three, four. Well, I have, I have five faces looking back at me and then I have some different comments. Uh, what I mean by that is, Somebody came in the sanctuary and taped their picture on the pew where they would normally sit. And so there's five uh, pictures in here um, looking at me. So that's good. That makes me feel a little bit uh, more at home. I appreciate that. I'm pretty sure Kelly Taylor had something to do with that. But anyway... Just like I would always do, I would stand up here on Easter and I would say, He is risen, and everyone would say, He is risen indeed. So this is what I want to do. Let's try to crash this website if we can. I'll say, He is risen, and then you comment all at the same time, He is risen indeed. Okay? Ready? One, two, three. He is risen. There you go. Wow, that sounded so good. I, I could feel like I just heard all of you say that. All right, well, amen. A couple things I want to say to you uh, first and foremost is, is that I'm just so grateful. You know, since all of this uh, has started and we've been in exile and uh, all the challenges that it's presented, I've been telling the staff the whole time that uh, what an amazing thing it is that God chose this time in history for us to walk through this, that we would be here in this place together, and that it's uh, really just um, not a, a fearful, frightful thing as much as it is a, just a, a, a wondrous uh, sort of almost humbling thing that we're able to go through this together. And I, I want you to know that that's all of us, that the fact that we as a faith family at this time uh, have been able to go through this together is a marvelous, amazing thing uh, because I get to watch so many of you do so many amazing and wonderful things. Thank you for all of you that are making masks. Uh, there's a there's going to be a big collection box uh, in the back of the church. You can just come. Uh, the door will be open. You can walk into that little rear foyer, and there'll be a, a drop-off place there. There's, I keep refilling the books. I'm so excited about all the, the quarantine, God-centered reading so many of you are doing. And I uh, just keep putting more books in there, and you keep coming and getting them, and that's just exciting. I mean, so so many of you have just been so generous and so uh, wonderful. I mean, this week, uh, so many people have been helped. Uh, so many of you have given to help people who are out of work financially. So many of you have provided groceries and needs and necessities to people who were in need of those things. We built a wheelchair ramp yesterday uh, for some folks in need. It's just been amazing. I mean, just to watch so many of you walk uh, through this and glorify God in the midst of being in exile has been a great encouragement. And uh, so I just want to say, keep, keep, let's keep going. Let's keep pressing. Let's make sure that we don't quit. 
Um, well, let's pray, and then we're going to gather around Luke chapter 24. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Easter. We thank you that you are victorious and that in your resurrection you defeated sin and death. And Lord, when you arose and came out of that tomb, Lord God, you, your victory became our victory. And we celebrate that today. And so, Lord, uh, this Easter Sunday, as we gather as families, as we gather online, Lord, this is the most together we can be, but we're thankful that we can be this together. And Lord, we are thankful for the work that you're doing in the midst of exile. And I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for the amazing generosity and love and support and encouragement. And Lord, I have over several decades, I have watched the people of this church do so many amazing things. But Lord, in these past weeks, it has been a truly humbling and amazing thing to watch how the people of this church have risen up. Their resilience has just been fantastic. And it's just a testimony to your spirit and your word and what happens when people uh, do hard things and walk in hard places because your good word has commanded us to do so. And so, Lord, thank you. We have so much to celebrate today. And I pray that each person who's watching each family, uh, Lord, would just have a beautiful, amazing, wonderful resurrection day. And God, we're looking forward to that day soon when we get to be together and we're going to celebrate. Lord, it'll, it'll just be an epic Easter that day that we're together. And what a time of celebration it'll be. But we pray that you'll give us ears to hear today as we gather around your word and that you'll implant it in our hearts, Lord, that we can celebrate rightly according to your word and purpose for your glory today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our Easter message, hope in exile. So I want to implore you today. I want you to, to keep going, keep pressing. You know, as I thought about Easter this year, I thought about how so oftentimes the biggest struggles in our lives become the biggest blessing. It's out of those greatest challenges that so many times our greatest blessing comes. And so don't quit. Don't give up. Keep pressing. I know that so many of you are concerned about the situations going on around you. You're concerned about people that you love, concerned about the, you're worried. You're worried about our, our, our country or our way of life or just the, the state of, of the way everything is or, or if you're going to be able to uh, weather this storm. I know some of you are frustrated. I know that um, there are challenges and, uh, you know, they, they seem like small inconveniences, but they stack up and, you know, it's, it's hard. I mean, so many times I'll, I'll go to a store to get something, but, you know, there's a giant line to get in and I start to think, how bad do I really need that? And, you know, it's just, uh, it's difficult. And if you're wondering, you know, is there, is there hope for me? Or where's the hope? Or wh where is it that I need to, uh, to look? Or how come? Uh, maybe sometimes you feel guilty because you feel like things are getting you down or bothering you. And you know in your mind that they shouldn't, but they are. And so you feel like you're, maybe you're, you're not, your faith isn't as strong as it ought to be. And you feel like maybe you're not where you ought to be because you're, worried or struggling. Listen, the story of Easter is the story of hope, and it's the story of hope to a people in exile. That's what I want you to see this morning. We're going to look at a, a passage from Luke 24. It's a familiar passage. Normally, we would read it maybe in the context of an Easter story, but it wouldn't necessarily be the central theme uh, of what we're going to talk about, but I think it is the perfect place that God's led me to for this moment and this time. So if you printed out your listening guide, 
then you can fill in your first blanks. Here's what we're going to start with this morning. Is that Easter means that the worst thing is not the last thing. That the worst thing is not the last thing. I remember when I was in seminary, one of my seminary professors had a plaque on the wall of his office. And it said that uh, the resurrection means that the worst thing is not the last thing. And I remember just how I would read that and I would think about that and think about what that meant. And what I want you to see in Luke chapter 24 is that Jesus is going to enter right into the exile of his followers. He's going to come right into and he's going to enter in in the midst of exile. So Luke 24, go to the end of the chapter, beginning in verse 36. These verses will come up this morning, verse 36. Now, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. Now, understand in this moment, Jesus is dead. He's in the tomb, so they don't know exactly what's going on. And he shows up, and the first words he says is, Peace to you. Then verse 37. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? You see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. Verse 40, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while he, they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Now, there's Jesus' followers, his, the people who were closest to him in the world, and they know that he's dead, and they're sort of been thrust into exile. They, they don't know where they belong or where they, what they're going to do or how they're going to do it or how, what's going to happen. And Jesus enters in. And it's such, a, it's such a strange sort of thing that the Scripture records there. And I want us to look at it. And I want us to see why I think God put that in the Scripture for us. So, and also I think it explains why the worst thing is not the last thing. That when we feel like we're at the end of our rope, when we get to the, we feel like this is the worst thing, I want you to know it's not the last thing. So the, the first reason why the worst thing is not the last thing is because God will trade our old bodies for new bodies. You see, the first thing that this passage shows us is that Jesus shows up and he's not a ghost. He's not a spirit. He's fully present in the flesh, risen from the dead. Now, why is this in Scripture? Uh, people have debated this. I've heard, I've, I've heard people carry on and, and commentators talk about what's the significance of the fish. And is there a specific reason why that it was a fish that Jesus ate and well, the significance of the fish was that Jesus was hungry. That's the significance. And, and the fact that they had broiled fish. If they would have had meatloaf, then he would have, they would have gave him meatloaf. They had broiled fish because that's what they had. But there's more here that I want us to see for a second. You see, the story is in Scripture. And, and here's what it tells me. It tells me God cares about this world. It tells me that he cares about the injustices of this world. He cares about the pains of this world and the sufferings of this world. He cares about the isolation of this world, the loneliness of this world, the suffering of this world. Now, how do I know that he cares about all the things of this world? I know that because he dealt with those things. The way, the way that we know he cares about injustice and pain and suffering and loneliness and exile is because he dealt with them by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. But then he comes into our existence. He comes into our moment of exile to show us that he is 
risen and real and in the flesh and present there amongst us. And, and here's the thing. Think about this. Think about how fast things disappear. How fast time moves and how quickly what is our present current reality is gone. You know, I, I've been thinking a lot about this sort of thing in this exile season. You know, it's, it's Easter Sunday, and I, I think about how, you know, I've, uh, I think about how for so many years, you know, there were, there were Easter egg hunts at my house and Easter baskets, and then there weren't. They were gone. And they were just memories. And, and I think that, that when my children were growing up, I sort of took for granted that there would always be this, this sort of Easter uh, traditions going on in my home until there weren't any more children in my home. And then, boom, all of a sudden, there's kids in my home again. And I'm just clinging to all of these little moments, I'm clinging to each of these experiences. And it, it just makes you realize, you know, Jesus shows up and he's in a real body. And I'm excited about that because one of the things that disappears is sort of, you know, we, we don't look the way we always used to look. Now, one thing that's remained the same is my hairline hasn't changed one bit. It is exactly the same. Now, Lisa might have changed a little bit, but I, I, I seem like I'm pretty ageless, wouldn't you say? But here's, the, here's I had a moment this morning. I wake up early, of course, you know, the sun's not up. It's a typical Sunday morning in my house. I don't see anybody on Sunday morning. And I'm getting ready to walk out the door. And I go to grab my keys. And I notice there's a piece of paper wrapped around my keys. And I open it up. And it's a Easter card from my daughter, Kaylee. And on this card... Uh, I always tell her that I love her to the moon and back. And so she writes on the card that she loves me to the moon and back. And she taped a watermelon Jolly Rancher to it because she knows that I like watermelon Jolly Ranchers. And I know she loves them too, but she taped it there and, and didn't eat it so she could give it to Dad for Easter and it's just a reminder of how quickly things pass. But listen, it's not always going to be like that. We're going we're gonna to receive a new body. And when we receive a new body, it's not going to pass away. It's not going to fade away. It's going to stay for all eternity. It's going to remain. Listen, the story of the resurrection is the story of God's unwillingness to let our story end here. Because it, time is passing and things are changing and they're disappearing and they're going away. And even this sort of unique moment that will forever change us and in many ways might define our, our future to come. It's going to pass. And there'll be new things. There'll be new challenges. There'll be new chapters. There'll be new things written. But listen, it won't end here. Because God has a plan, and he's going to come, and he's going to get us, or we're going to end our time here, and we're going to be with him. And when that time happens, we're going to get a new body, and it's not going to pass away. And Easter is a celebration that healing and justice and peace have finally won, that the... We're, the, what wears us out here and the, the struggle and the grind of, of daily life. It's all going to pass away. And what, when we enter into perfection, it's going to stay that way forever and ever. Brand new, real, 
physical. It's not going to be some spiritual realm. It's going to be a real existence and a real new body. Here's what the Bible says in in Philippians chapter 3, that our citizenship, Paul says, is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Amen. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Praise the Lord. We're going to receive new physical bodies. And when we do, we're going to run and we're going to dance and we're going to worship and we're even going to eat. And I can guarantee you this. You can eat whatever you want, as much as you want. It's not going to hurt a thing. It's going to be wonderful. And I'm actually going to be able to dance, I think. But I don't care if I can or not. I'm dancing anyway. Number two. What's the next reason why the worst thing won't be the last thing? Well, because God is going to trade our earthly pain for eternal pleasure. Our earthly pain for eternal pleasure. Now, let's look at uh, back at Luke and let's look at verses 41 through 43. 41 through 43. And while they still disbelieved, for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate before them. Now, here's the significance. Jesus shows up, and he says, What's for dinner? What are you, what are you eating? He, he comes in. It, it just it boggles my mind that in this moment, when so many things are, are unknown and, and undecided and undetermined in the hearts and the minds of his disciples. There's so many questions they have that need to be answered. There's so many pressing, just intense emotions. Jesus walks in the room. He doesn't sit down and start answering all their questions. He doesn't start a dialogue about, you know, okay, ask me anything you want and I'll tell you. Or, or okay, here's my message. He just comes in. And he wants them to know that he's real. And he says, hey, what are you having for dinner? He took time. Just think this through. He took time. In exile. He wanted them to see that he was going to take a moment and just participate in simple, ordinary pleasures. And and here's what it makes me think about. It makes me think about all the simple things that we've all realized that we maybe take for granted. It, It makes me think about how the fact that we can't, do certain things. We can't see each other. Well, how we might take that for granted. And, and how in my own heart, I've seen how it's sort of exposed certain things that, you know, maybe I, I just wasn't, I didn't anticipate feeling such strong emotions about certain things. Let me give you an example. You know, I am very used to uh, being in this building when it's empty. I'm in this building all the time when all the lights are out and it's dark and I'm the only one here and I'm totally comfortable with that. It's been that way for years. But since this time of exile, there's just certain things that have really affected me. And and one of them is, is that I can't walk by the preschool department. It just kills me to walk by and, and Sort of, I see all those paintings on the walls and, you know, I, and there's no, there's no sounds in there. There's no, there's no laughter. There's no joy. There's no volunteer. All those children, you know, all the parents picking up their kids are not in the hallway. And it's been, yeah, that's hard. That's hard. Because I, I. I miss you, and I miss the little things like just walking past you in the hall. I miss just 
seeing your children in the children's department. I, I miss all those students outside on uh, Wednesday nights going into the youth building or hanging out on those back steps after the service. I miss just walking across the parking lot and seeing so many people, you know, driving, loading their kids in the car, driving home. Or It's hard. And I realize, you know, how just simple things that I might take for granted. And, you know, I don't exactly know what it's going to be like when we all get to come back together and we get to see each other and things start to, you know, go back to whatever our new normal is. But I feel like I just want to savor every little moment, you know. I just want to savor those moments of, you know, singing together and savor those moments of or just sitting down and and eating a piece of broiled fish with people that I love that, you know, aren't in my immediate family. You know, you think about Jesus. What, what is he showing us here about the character and nature of God? You know, remember in Genesis when when God finished creating and after he got done with all of his creation, he declared that it is good, that what he had created is good. It's a reminder to us that what God's made is good. And sometimes we need to be reminded that, you know, the devil didn't create pleasure. The world wants us to believe that, but that's not true. In fact, the very next text that we're going to look at in the book of James next week is going to bring this to the forefront of our minds. But the devil didn't create pleasure. God created pleasure. Pleasure exists because God made creation that way. And we want to make sure that we're teaching our children and our students that God is not a God who's boring or mundane. We, we want to make sure that, that the next generation understands and knows that to serve God is not to avoid everything that's fun or exciting or wonderful. No, 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 we want, that's, that's the reason why, listen, it's not a, it's not just a selfish reason that, you know, it's hard to walk into that new, amazing children's facility and no kids have been in there yet. It's because of what it represents. It's because of what its purpose is and what it's going to do. Is that when I walk into that room, what I see is I see a place that's going to declare to our kids, hey, you know what? God is amazing. He's amazing. And following him is amazing. And you see, I, I'm, I'm grateful that, that your kids are home with you and that they're, you're together as a family. And that's wonderful and that's great and that's how it should be. But I also know that when they're here and they're together with other children, you see, I don't, I don't want your kids to grow up. I don't want their best friends in the world to be people that they went to school with or people that happened to live in your neighborhood or happened to, you know, that you happened to meet or maybe were in karate with you. What my hope is that is that our kids grow up and their best friends in the whole world are people that God intentionally put in their life through their faith family, that they grew up together in the preschool department. They grew up together in the children's department. They grew up together going to uh, victory weekend and youth camp together and the youth group. And that that's what I hope. You see, because God is awesome and he's amazing and he created pleasure. And I, I want our young people to know that that real pleasure and, and excitement and joy and the amazing things that life has to offer are found in God. 
They're found in God. God creates and sin breaks down and perverts and twists. But thanks be to God, he saves. He's a God who saves, who comes and who rose from the dead to tell us that he's going to replace this earthly pain with eternal pleasure because he's a God of pleasure. And before sin entered this world, everything that was here was for our pleasure and our enjoyment. And when we get those new bodies, we're going to live in a new heaven and a new earth. And that's what we're going to live amongst is a perfect creation where everything is made for our enjoyment. Thank you, Jesus, for living the perfect life that we could never live. For dying the death that we deserve to die. And raising from the dead so that you would defeat sin and death. So that one day things would be made right. So that we'd have the opportunity to be mended, to live in a a mended creation. Listen, I want you to know that Easter is is a declaration of a God who is committed to mending everything that's broken. And we get these little resurrection glimpses of things in life that, that, that God's mending. But one day it's all going to be mended. Look at, look at what the Bible says in Revelation 21. The revelator John says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and they were, there was no more sea. And then I, John, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear. See, he's going to mend it, every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then, He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. You see the one on the throne, he says, Behold, I'm mending them. I'm making them new. I'm putting them back the way they were intended to be. Because I'm the author of what's right. I'm the author of pleasure. I'm the, I'm the reason there is such a thing. So listen, that's what you know what that tells us? That tells us as God's children that the message of the resurrection is you lose nothing. Listen, nothing. You gain everything. You don't lose anything. When the Bible describes what awaits the children of God, we don't lose anything. So this, this, this idea that the pleasures of this life compete, compete with, with uh, what God has in store for us, that, you know, we're, we're, you know, people, you hear people say these crazy things like, you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm living my life. And, you know, yes, I understand what you're saying, Pastor, but when I get older, I'm going to settle down and I'm going to, then I'll get involved in church and then I'll devote my life to Christ. And then I'll, but right now I'm young and I just want to experience life. That is such a foolish thing to say. It's such a foolish thing to say because it's so untrue. It's such a lie. It's a lie that the devil wants us to believe that somehow he knows anything about pleasure. He only knows about pain and suffering. And how to disguise it and make it look like pleasure. So Jesus, he comes along and he says, Behold, I make all things new. That's that's what my heart is longing for, is all things new. That, you know, we, we sort of abide under all these struggles. These struggles and challenges that, we face in this life that that cry out for a resurrection you know if only i could 
If only I could take back the last 10 years of my marriage, some people say. You know, if only I could go back and I could raise my kids over again. If only, you know, you, you mourn all the moments that slipped through your fingers that, that you took for granted, but now they're gone. You know, if only I could get another chance, if I could just start over with a relationship with my parents, if I could just do it again, if there were just some way to, to get a second chance to start fresh again. To be free from all the regrets of my past or the challenges of days gone by. Listen, that's, that is the resurrection message. Behold, I make all things new. That all that's gone. It's all passing away. And you're going to get a new body and you're going to usher into a new eternal pleasure. And all the pain and the suffering and the struggles are going to be gone. It's what I know about the message of Easter. It's just all the things that it declares in my heart. It's all the reminders of why this isn't my home. This wasn't what I was made for. It's not where, it's not what we were made for. We're made for another place. And we're just here for a moment, for a season. You see... It's like the book of James has been showing us that we're going to walk through trials, all of us. It's not if they come, but when they do. But we can count them joy. And how can we count them all joy? Is because, because the, this present thing is not the way things are going to stay. The worst thing, it's not the last thing. The worst thing is not the last thing. God tells us there's hope. There's hope. There's hope in exile. There's more. All you have to do is call on the name of the Lord Jesus. When you, you commit your life to Christ, then you can, you can be resilient because realism won't overwhelm you because you have real hope. Listen, if you're, if you're with us this morning and, and you're, you're not sure about your relationship with God or maybe you've never made a commitment to God. You've never given your life to Christ. I want you to know that the pastors are, are logged in this morning. You can just, uh, in the comment thing, you can just write a comment. I want to talk to a pastor or uh, there's a link at the bottom of the page. I'll mention it again at the end of, of the message where you can link to our website and you can go there and fill out a visitor form and Give us your information, and we'll contact you. One of the pastors will contact you this week, and we'll talk to you. But if you want to talk to somebody, you can talk to somebody right now about your relationship with God, about how you can be saved, about how your heart can be filled with hope, about how you can know, how you can know that this isn't the way it's always going to be. You know, I, I, I can't promise you that if you give your life to Christ, that you're going to have less problems. I can't promise you that. I can't promise that you're going to have less problems than you have today. I can't promise you that you're going to have financial security if you follow Jesus. I can't promise you that you're going to have physical health if God is your heavenly Father. But here's what I can promise you. I can promise you that if you commit your life to Jesus... If you give your heart to the resurrected Son of God, the Lord Jesus, I can promise you that you will be grateful for all eternity. I can promise you that for all eternity you will be more thankful for that moment, for that decision than any other moment and any other decision that could have or would have ever been made in this life. That you will be eternally grateful for that because what awaits the people of God is unbelievably good. You see, that's what Easter means. It means that, that, that God, when he tells us things are not going to be easy, they're not going to be easy. But it's okay because in the midst of your worst moment, the worst thing is not the last thing. It's not the last thing. 
Because God's going to trade our panic for peace. See, the worst thing's not the last thing because God's going to trade our panic for peace. I want you to look with me at verse 36. Look back at verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace to you. Peace to you. That's his message. That's the first thing he says. He shows up. And what are they doing? They're in the midst of panicking. That's what they're doing. They're, they're in the midst of, of struggling emotionally and spiritually and relationally because their leader is dead. Their hopes and dreams disappeared. Their futures are gone. I mean, it's the ultimate moment of their 401k disappeared. They've been, they've been you know, dispersed because of persecution and left all their belongings and they're in a foreign land it is the ultimate example of exile and after Jesus shows up they're initially still panicking I mean think about it they don't just immediately stop panicking when they see him they're panicking because their leader is dead then he shows up and now they're panicking because their dead leader is standing in front of them, which is kind of understandable. But if your leader who was dead is now alive, it could cause you a moment of panic, which is why Jesus says, peace to you, peace, peace. Now, this is what I want you to know about peace. Pete, what, what is the peace of God? The peace of God is both a fact and a feeling. It's both. It's not just a fact. It's not just something that we just believe that God is a God of peace. The Bible says he's a God of peace, and so we believe that because it's a a fact that the Bible declares. But we don't feel it. We don't live it. We don't experience it. No, it's not that. But it's not just a feeling that we feel that we validate only because we feel it, but the, the Bible doesn't say it. It's both. It's a fact of the character and nature of God, but it's also something we experience. It's very real. The peace of God is a fact and a feeling. It's knowing that you've made, been made right with God. You see, what this is what we need to know. We need to know when, when we're under pressure and when we're struggling and we're not sure, you know, what tomorrow holds and there's strain We need to know that in the midst of when everything else isn't right, but I'm right with God because of the Lord Jesus and his resurrection. I'm right with God. Or you could say that peace is knowing that we're accepted by God. You see, when Jesus resurrected from that tomb, that was the moment that we know that his death was accepted by God. That his death served its intended pur- purpose. That his death was the propitiation of our sin. The payment for our sin. Because God raised him from the dead. And that's the moment that, that it was the acceptance of his death on our behalf. And so we now... As accepting him as our Savior, know that we are accepted by God. So we're, we're accepted by him. Knowing that you're right with God, it gives us peace through the worst of anxieties. Because so many things are, are so tangled around and so many things aren't the way they're intended to be. But it's not just that. Because so many things that aren't aren't the way they're intended to be, but they're normal to us, but now they're gone. And so it's more than that. that. It's not just that they're not the way they ought to be, but they're not the way that we expect them to be. They're not the way that we anticipate them to be. And so it makes us anxious. I remember reading about... um, England during World War II and the blackout days. And so the especially in London, but across England, there were, it was a a total blackout. And so everyone, you couldn't make noise. You had to stay in your home. All your lights had to stay out at night. 
uh, because they anticipated that if you turned your lights on, it would, it would you know, cause the Germans to, to start bombing. They would see life or whatever the case may be. And so the church bells couldn't ring and people couldn't go outside. People couldn't, children couldn't play in the streets. People spent time just being quiet and in the dark. And it was a constant reminder of the fearfulness of the moment and the situation and the season. And then the historical accounts of what happened after VE Day and victory was declared and Hitler was defeated and people rushed out into the streets and they were like dancing and screaming and shouting in the streets for hours on end. And I remember reading stories. I've seen pictures of these lines of people. They're just literally lying. They're waiting in line to ring the church bells. And the church bells would ring continuously. They'd never stop ringing because someone would ring them and then the next person would get to ring them and the next person would get to ring them. And you're thinking, why are they waiting in line to ring the church bells? Because they haven't rung for so long. And what people had always just took for granted that the church bells would ring. But when they were silent... They realized how much they missed them, how much it meant to them. And then they couldn't ring them enough. They couldn't get enough of it. I mean, why were they dancing? Why were they ringing the church? But because there was peace. That's what peace does. Peace says it's going to be okay. That peace tells us, listen, the, the, the fear is, should subside. It needs to go. That there's nothing to be fearful of. That no matter what your circumstances look like in this moment, it's going to be okay. Look, this morning, I'm inviting you to peace. I'm inviting you to resurrection peace that declares it's going to be okay. Jesus comes into exile and he says, peace to you. This morning, he's saying to you in your living room, he's saying, peace to you. Peace. That if you know me, if you belong to me. He's not saying that, that all the things you're facing aren't difficult or that all the things that are going on around you aren't real. He's saying that peace to you because I supersede all those things. I'm bigger than all those things. The worst thing won't be the last thing. I'm the last thing. I know some of you are dealing with family members who are sick. And it's hard. It's hard. How do you have peace when, when people you love are, are sick? And, you know, they're, 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 their lives are in jeopardy. And you can't be with them and by them. But you're fearful also that you'll lose them. Maybe you... Have a sick child and you're fearful and you're scared. It's stealing away your peace. Listen, maybe you're alone and you're, you're just tired of talking to yourself. You've had all the conversations with yourself you can stand. Jesus isn't saying that's not real. But he's saying you can have peace. Because what you're experiencing today is not the last. It doesn't have the last say. You're not going out this way. You're not going to you're not going to end and just exist in, in this situation. No. The worst thing's not the last thing. If you've lost your job. And listen, I know that it's hard. It's hard because so many of you I've I've contacted and I've uh, you know brought help to you from your brothers and sisters in Christ and and I know it's hard it's 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 hard to, to accept help and I guess in ways it, it, it feels good but also it 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 makes you I know you wish you could be the one doing the helping but listen listen there are seasons of giving help and there are seasons of receiving help. 
And that's and, and we have to we, we need to embrace both of them and walk faithfully through both of them. Every day you feel like it's just a dead end. Or even when you, you know, sort of see your way out of the ditch you're in now, you you all you see ahead is is more ditches and it steals your peace. Listen. I can't promise you that if you follow Jesus, he's going to give you a good job or he's going to fill your bank account or he's going to... I mean, that's just not how it works. The way it works is, is that he'll bring peace to you because you're right with him. And the worst thing won't be the last thing. Imagine the impact this would have on us in our lives if we, if we really believed it, if we really lived it. If, if we sort of kept the implications of the resurrection before us in everyday life, in, in the ordinary moments of life, in the, in the ins and the outs, and the, in the highways and the byways, and the things that we experience and the feelings that we feel, if we kept the implications of Easter before us, if we, the, the reality of What's guaranteed us of what's been accomplished for us, of what's been promised to us. Here's what would happen. We would stop giving up. We would stop quitting. We would stop. We wouldn't even think about it. We wouldn't even have we wouldn't even have a fleeting thought about quitting or giving up or giving in because we would realize how foolish that is for a child of God. Why would we ever consider that when we know, we know because of the resurrection what God has accomplished on our behalf. But the scripture, like with everything else, deals with the reality of life. I want you to consider, I think last Easter I preached from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's one of the longest chapters in the New Testament. It's, it's probably the, the longest narrative about the resurrection. And in 1 Corinthians 15, there's 57 verses basically about or tied to the resurrection. And then you get to the very last verse. After all of this sort of treatise about the resurrection and what that means and the implication. And look at the last thing Paul says. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, why does Paul say that? Because he knows that even though everything he just told us about the resurrection is true, he also knows that there's going to be times in life. Is it, is it true? Can I believe it? Maybe I'll just quit. Maybe I'll just give up. No, it's not in vain. He says, my beloved brethren, children of God, my brothers and sisters, the people of God, because of the resurrection, don't ever quit. Because of the resurrection, be steadfast. Abide under difficulty. You don't do hard things. Keep serving your neighbors. Keep, keep sharing the gospel. Keep interacting with people who are hurting and struggling. Keep giving of yourself when you feel like there's maybe not even enough for you, but you're, 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 you know that God's called you to be generous. Just keep doing that because it's the picture of the people of God. Listen, I want to share something with you. When all of this began, um, you know, I'm not one who panics. I'm not somebody who is impulsive. And especially, I'm not someone who, who ever thinks anything but the absolute best 
of this faith family. I mean, nothing that you do for the Lord surprises me because I, I know how amazing you are because I've been with you for so long. But I'll be honest with you, when all of this hit and, and suddenly I'm sort of thrust into this reality that we weren't going to have church. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm reading, you know, all these things online that, you know, our, our denomination is, is putting out all this information to pastors. And there's, you know, all these networks of pastors talking to each other. And they're all sort of, you know, we're all, we all sort of collaborate, like, oh, how are we going to get through this? And what are we going to do? And a lot of the conversation is about you need to prepare yourself for, you know, the, the church is about to take a major financial hit. And, uh, you know, you, you're, if you're not having church, it's going to be difficult. And, you know, I, I came to the conclusion that I think the wise thing for us to do is to prepare ourselves to be able to, to exist somehow uh, on, you know, if, if, if our finances are cut 50%. And that would include, you know, I mean, I, I thought about, you know, how I was going to explain to Lisa that, I wasn't going to be getting a salary. And, you know, I thought about, you know, trying to find a part-time job during this season or something like that so that, you know, the staff could continue to get paid. And, you know, I, I had a meeting with everybody about reducing uh, expenditures down. Do not spend a penny that's not absolutely necessary. And, we shut off all the thermostats and keep all the lights out to save money and all of these things. And uh, I came into my office the other day and, and the financial reports that I get every month were on my desk and I picked them up and I looked and I saw that, I mean, I kept looking March and I called Lyle and I said, Lyle, am I to understand that our giving remained consistent? I mean, how is that possible that we stayed right on budget? And he said, yeah. He said, our people haven't missed a beat. That's, that's realizing that the worst thing is not the last thing. That's, that's what I believe a people of God. That's how people of God would, would see a situation like we're in right now and would realize that no matter what's going on around us, listen, this isn't, this isn't our story. This isn't, this isn't how we're ending. We're not living for this place and this time. And so we're living for the glory of God, and we're going we're gonna to continue to serve God and honor God and be faithful to God and care for each other and love each other and work together and encourage each other and my goodness, you know, the government's ordered us to shelter in place. I don't have any control over that. We can't be together as a faith family. I don't have any control over that. People we love and we care about are, are vulnerable and isolated. And it's, it's almost impossible to, to encourage them or to get to them. And, and I don't have any control over that. We have to wait in line to get things that we need. And I don't have any control over that. If you watch the news for five minutes, you're going to have a panic attack. I don't have any control over that. The economy's topsy-turvy. I don't have any control over that. The future is uh, 
never in our hands, but it just seems right now like everything's so crazy, and I don't have any control over that. However, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that one day the things of this life are going to pass away, that I'm going to spend all of eternity where there's no such thing as COVID-19, that where there's, there's no concept of social distancing, where there's never going to be a millisecond of loneliness or loss or separation or hurt or I'm never going to preach another funeral. I'm never going to lose another person that I love. I'm never going to have to worry about getting sick. I'm not going to, there's be no need for hand sanitizer. Nobody's going to wear a face mask or gloves. There's not going to be any need for that. It's all going to be gone. There's not going to be any economy to worry about. And because of all of that, I can have joy today. You see, there's a million things today that are true that I don't have any control over. But you know what I have control over? I have control over my attitude in the midst of all of the things I don't have control over. And I'm going to let my attitude and my, my perspective and my countenance be shaped by what I know to be true. Not by all these things that are around me in this present moment. I have control over that. See, what does Easter mean? It means that the worst thing won't be the last thing. That's what it means. That there will be a last thing. But when that last thing comes... It's going to be the best thing that you've ever experienced in the world. And all the worst things are going to be gone forever and ever and ever. Easter means that the story of resurrection, our story of resurrection, it ends with eternal jubilation. That it's going to end with an eternity of joy and celebration and glory and pleasure and enjoyment and the, the, the party that never ends. That every moment is new because God's going to keep continuously pour out the blessings of heaven over and over. And it's not going to be the same blessings. It's going to be an eternity of blessings. So there'll never be a moment of boredom. There'll never be a moment of, of depression or struggle or bewilderment or worry or concern that our Father who relentlessly and unconditionally loves us, the one who mended everything together, put it back the way it was meant to be, ushers us as his children into his presence. And listen, these Easter's are going to be a distant memory. Maybe today will be a distant memory. But before you let this Easter slip through your fingers, just stop for a minute and think about how fast things disappear, how quickly things change. And then just grab a little more tightly to this Easter in exile. And don't think about all the things that aren't the way you wish they were. Because if they were, it would just be another Easter. But this is not another Easter. This is an Easter unlike any other. And so let's grab a hold of it and let's cling to it for a moment. And let's think about what it means. Jesus resurrected from the dead. And he came right into our exile to show us that he's a real person who enjoys ordinary, simple things 
and brings peace into our lives. That the resurrection, it, it, it means that the most expensive purchase in all of history was you. You. Let that sit on your heart. So we want to be a part. I mean, you can't, you can't walk up here and take my hand and look me in the eye right now and tell me that you want to commit your life to Christ or that you want to follow God and believers' baptism or that you want to plant your life here and become a part of this fellowship or, or, or that what's God's doing in your life. You can't do that, but here's what you can do. You can reach out. to. We can connect. You can connect with one of the pastors online right now. You can connect with us. You can fill out that form and we'll call you and we'll have a conversation. But don't let it slip through your fingers. Don't pass this moment. Realize what this means. Do you have peace in exile? My prayer is today that we'll We'll hold tightly to the resurrection and we'll let it determine the way we see and experience and react to and respond to and live in the midst of everything that we face every day. You are an extraordinary group of people. And I am forever grateful to be your shepherd. I love you so much but it doesn't compare to the way Jesus loves you. So may God bless you today as you celebrate his resurrection with your families. Enjoy today. Laugh together. Smile together. Connect with someone you love. Encourage somebody today for the glory of God. Let me pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for an Easter in exile because it's an Easter filled with hope. God, we thank you today that the worst thing is not the last thing. But God, the last thing will be the absolute best thing. That Lord, at the end of this journey, the fulfillment of victory comes. And so Lord, thank you for the resilient disciples that you've assembled in this family. And God, thank you that there's always room for more. Thank you that as we have friends and neighbors who will watch this and tune in, Lord, that they have an opportunity to join in the chorus of heaven with us. Father, that there's always room for more in your house. And so, Lord, I pray that your perfect work would be done in every life. And I know that your Holy Spirit is not hindered by our proximity, Lord, that you're a God who's ever present and even now is working in the lives of those who are watching. And so, God, may you do what only you can do, and we promise to give you all the praise and all the glory. So thank you for this Easter, for this moment, for this time, in the way in which you've provided it. We're going to count it joy, and we're going to walk in the glory of your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Happy Easter. I love you.